We are going to dive into week four of our series fact check. So if you haven't been with us, real quickly, here's what we've been doing through the month of August. We got this week and next week, and this is what we've been trying to do. Each week we're taking kind of an idea of the Christian faith that we wrestle with that's kind of hard to understand. So like the first week, for example, we took the idea a good God and bad things happening. How do we process that? and navigate through this world with with that question. We have a good God, but there's still bad things happening. Then the second week, we looked at, can we trust the Word of God to be the words of God? We kind of dove into that. Last week, we looked at... Now I'm trying to remember what we looked at. We looked at, oh, is Christianity the one true religion? It's exclusive, but it's also inclusive. And as we looked at it, the idea of exclusivity is if you're not believing in what Jesus did for you, you can't call yourself Christian. But it's very inclusive that nothing you have to do, prove, or be like makes you like get into the family. If you want to accept Jesus for what he did, at any point, any time, you don't have to have certain criteria, you can enter this relationship. But at the same time, if you don't believe in what Jesus did, you can't be considered a Christian. If you don't say, yeah, I understand what Jesus did on the cross for me, and died a death so I could be set free. So this week, I need to preface a little bit because I'm going to tap into some things that might get you a little thinking a little bit and wondering, is he really talking about this or is he really telling the truth on this? But I want you to understand, I want to try to tap into this idea and hopefully lead you down the path as I've been trying to do. I don't have time to go in-depth for like two hours on some of these different things, so you got to be thinking a little bit with me this morning, but I'm going to try to communicate clearly to you that science does not contradict Christianity. Science does not contradict Christianity, and we're going to look at three different things that are probably going to raise some flags because we hear about these terms, and we're always told in the church, you know, I don't know about these things, science being one of them, the Big Bang Theory being one of them, and evolution being one of them. And so you hear these things, and immediately in the church, we're like, oh, we shouldn't be talking about these things. I want you to understand, I'm going to try to do my best to clearly communicate on these three topics real quickly, how it doesn't contradict Christianity. Now, as I preface that, I want you to also understand, if you take God out of the equation when it comes to science, then we have an issue. But these two things can work cohesively and, and we, can, we can learn from science, and science can learn from us. And so I want to do my best to try to give you kind of this roadmap down the road of science. And hopefully you keep digging. Hopefully you keep asking yourself questions. And I can try to clarify anything further if you're like, I don't, I don't know about that, Taylor. But just listen to me, hopefully, for the next 20 minutes, and, and I'll try to unpack this for you. So as we think about this, I think about science being something that when I was growing up, we don't talk about that. You know, we'd mention it maybe every so often, but that was kind of one of those topics that we just, we don't talk about in the church. It's a, we, we don't have room for science in the church because it, it just contradicts Christianity. And if we talk about science, then we're not really believing the Bible. And so we kind of stayed away from it. And so when I was thinking about this a little bit, the first job I got in ministry was, was another church here in town um, over at Southview. And when I sat down with the pastor, here's what you got to understand. Something for a long time, even growing up when I was going to church and my dad was in ministry, things like long hair, earrings, um, tight pants were not something that people totally liked in the church. And so I sit down with this pastor to interview, to go over and be an intern at their church. This wasn't even to be hired as their full-time guy. It was just to be an intern 
And this is what I sit down at restaurant with. Long hair, my earrings in, and tight jeans with holes in them. And I remember coming around the corner as I'm sitting down with the pastor, and there was kind of this weird look on his face. And he's just like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Like, he had told me later, after I'd started working for him for a while, that when he first saw me, immediately he put up this barrier and wasn't going to even continue a conversation just based on how I looked. Those were things at that time, and, and in the old traditional church, that, that it was not... That like even what I'm wearing today was not something that you would normally show up to church in. Or to have long hair as a guy. It was just something that the church stayed away from. And so for me to enter into a conversation with somebody in ministry, they were kind of just like, whoa, I, I don't know if we should even go there. I don't even know if we should even take a chance with this guy because of the way he looks. He doesn't fit the picture-perfect idea. And so when we talk about a topic like science, I feel like that's how we approach it. We look at it and we say, wow, you know, that, that's kind of deep and complex. I think we should just stay away from it. We believe what God did and what God created in the world, and that's great, and so that's all we need. And in a sense, yes, I agree with you. But I think it's very beneficial as we navigate this world to be able to intermix these things with Christianity and be able to learn a little bit from science and navigate that whole thing. Okay? So I want to unpack this idea, research fully. Research fully, because I want you to be able to really dive into these things. I'm only going to fly high over them. Go real high, try to give you very basic things, and lead you towards how Christianity doesn't contradict with science. Okay, so the first one. Does the Big Bang Theory contradict Christianity? Here's what you need to understand in the very basic most simplest definition of the Big Bang Theory. Very simplest definition. The simplest definition is a belief that our universe had an origin. Simplest definition. Get me, because I think a lot of times we jump to this big conclusion first, that it was like these two atoms smashing together and it created the universe. In part, yes, but, but just look at this very simple, basic definition. The Big Bang Theory is a theory to give the universe an origin. There was something at the beginning of time when there was nothing that now there's something. So that's what the very basic definition is. And here's what Stephen Hawking said. If you don't know who he is, you also have to know that I'm going to be quoting a lot of different people, so just stick with me. I'm going to try to move fast. But Stephen Hawking says, Virtually everyone believes the universe had a beginning. Many people do not like this idea that time has a beginning, probably because it smacks of divine intervention. Make sure you catch that. This is Stephen Hawking, somebody that has an amazing mind, a brilliant mind of our time. And he said, everybody believes there's, there's a time when the universe began. A lot of us don't like to believe it because it kind of leads us to a divine person. There was also another professor at MIT who wrote a book about the first three minutes of the existence of the universe. And he said this, at the beginning, there was a bright explosion of light and energy, and the universe was filled with light and heat. What this quote is saying is that at one point, there was nothing, and there was this big explosion, and there was something. Nothing to something. Now you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible. What does it say? It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface 
of the water. So even what the Bible is saying that so at one point there was nothing and then it came into existence from God creating the heavens and the earth. Now for walking along the same lines as the Big Bang theory, there was an origin to the universe, there was nothing and then there was something. The Bible there was nothing and then God created something. We're following the same wavelengths. We're following the same idea as the Big Bang theory. Nothing into something. Nothing into something. The idea of the Big Bang Theory isn't a problem for Christianity. If anything, it's a problem for a belief or a system that doesn't have God a part of it. Where did the Big Bang Theory come from? George Lamarts, he's a Bel- he was a Belgian Catholic priest, was the founder of the Big Bang Theory. And, and so what's very interesting to me is that somebody that's in ministry or in the church, a priest, comes up with this idea. It's not somebody that was just a really renowned scientist sitting in the lab one day and say, I'm going to figure out how the beginning of the universe came into being, and so I'm just going to say something. No, 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 this was somebody in the church, because at that time, a lot of times in, in the Western world, back, back in the day, they, they saw science as kind of an avenue to push them closer to Jesus. They believed in what Jesus did, and they believed how he created the heavens and the earth, but then there was some explanation that science gave to, for, for them to understand and go, oh, I, I now see how that works. So this guy comes up with it, and this is what he really believed. This is what he really believed. The Big Bang happened because a big God made it happen. The Big Bang happened because a big God made it happen. Now I want you to just think about this for a second, because you might hear this and you go, Whoa, Taylor, you're, you're touching into some areas that can get a little, little on the edge. I just want you to think about this for a second, though. What do you expect to happen in Genesis chapter 1 when there's nothing and God creates the heavens and the earth? It even says right here, the earth was formless, empty, and darkness. Darkness. There was no light. And what are these people saying at the beginning of time? That there was this big explosion of light. Don't you think probably in Genesis chapter 1 when there's nothing and God creates all of this universe and the earth and speaks everything to existence, there would be a big bang? There would be something that would be a loud noise with a bunch of light that all of a sudden out of darkness came this light and everything was created? Don't you think it probably would be something along those lines? I I think that's hard for us to maybe understand because it's like, you got to put yourself in the shoes. There's nothing going on. Nothing's existing at this point. And God creates and probably this huge thunderous bang and, and loud light comes crashing through because a God that we serve is big enough to do something like that. It's just like anytime you go out and there's a thunderstorm happening. I love going outside or looking out the window when thunderstorms happen because you see usually this big flash of lightning, this huge light that comes in what comes after that a big loud crack rolling thunder comes flying through after you see the flashing light and couldn't you imagine that god in his creation as he spoke the universe and and earth into existence this light came crashing through and a big loud bang happened how are any of us supposed to know it's like the saying You know, if a tree falls in the forest, does it still make sound? 
mean, I can't tell you. I wasn't at creation to be able to tell you, yeah, I know exactly how this happened. But you've got to realize how big of a God we serve. That he was able to create everything out of nothing. I would assume it was loud. I would assume light came bursting forth that it kind of make your head pull back a little. Robert Gestro, he was an agnostic leader in astronomy at NASA, says, now we see how the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The details differ, but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest, the final rock. He is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. So basically, what this guy's saying, this isn't some random scientist. This is a leader of astronomy at NASA. And he says basically what happens is if we're trying to figure out the beginning of the universe, we're just leading ourselves to what the biblical account says. And as we get there, there's already been a bunch of people that follow Jesus already there. Already there. If you take God out of the equation of the Big Bang, you have to begin to then ask yourself, where did the Big Bang come from? Where did it come from? I mean, when you talk about the origin of the universe and you want to start with something, it's almost impossible for science to be able to explain that beginning without God because you can just keep asking the question, where did that come from? Where did that come from? How did that get there? But to be able to say God was always existing, has been, always will be, outside of time, there's your answer. There's your beginning. God. And sure, maybe there was a Big Bang in the creation, but God would have made that happen. So if you take him out, I I don't know if I can explain. I don't know if I can track to just say the Big Bang Theory happened and there was no God behind it. It's just, it takes a lot more faith to be able to say that something came from nothing and that there, was a, there wasn't a God that maybe did the Big Bang. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to say that something like this happened when there wasn't something that was always there. It's just like saying, say, you know, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were, we were laying in bed, and it was probably 11 o'clock at night, and there was these cops that showed up across the street. Cops showed up across the street. They go, they get this guy. There was a bunch of blue flashing lights, and I don't know why they were there, but they were there. They took some guy out, took him in the back of the car, and left eventually. But let's just say for a second, let's just say for a second that these cops show up, and this guy's got, got a firearm, and so... All of a sudden, we hear a shot, and Shannon goes, well, what was that? And then she looks at me, and I, I, I just turn over to her and say, I don't know. I think it probably was a Nerf gun. She's probably going to be like, uh, no. A sound like that had to have come from something that logically makes sense. Or maybe I said, oh, it's just a baseball bat. Don't worry about it. It's a lot harder for somebody to say that was a Nerf gun, that was a baseball bat with a gunshot, because you have to put your faith 
that you're making up a sound for an actual sound. It's a lot easier to say when you hear a sound like that, that was a gun, because that's the origin of the sound, than to try to go into something like that and say it's something different. So for the origin of the universe, it's a lot harder to say, well, there was just a big bang when, when there was nothing else there, and we don't know where all the, the elements just randomly were there and came together and created everything just finely tuned how it should be without the origin being God. Real quickly, and then I'll move on to evolution real quick, here's some just interesting facts that have to point you to God have to point you to God as the origin of the universe. Earth rotation, if the rotation of the Earth took longer than 24 hours, then temperatures would become too extreme. Alternatively, if the rotation period were shorter, atmospheric wind velocities would be too great. So if we took longer to rotate in 24 hours, it'd be too hot. If it took shorter, too much wind. Jupiter, you probably wonder, why is Jupiter even there? If it were not in its current orbit, the Earth would be bombarded with space materials, comets, and meteoroids. Jupiter's gravitational field acts as a cosmic vacuum cleaner to attract space debris from away from the Earth. Earth's mantle. you got the crust, mantle, core. If the thickness of Earth's crust were greater, too much oxygen would be transferred to the crust to support human life. If it were thinner, volcanic and tectonic activity would make life impossible. People that say there isn't a God behind something like the Big Bang Theory don't want God behind it. Evidence points that God creates the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1 says that. But maybe, just maybe, at the beginning of this, such a big God made such a big bang and light came streaming forth in the creation of the world. Second thing, does evolution contradict Christianity? Now, here's what you got to understand. There's two different sets of evolution, minor and macro. Okay, so minor evolution are these small adaptations over time within a species. Okay, make sure you hear that. Small adaptations within a species over time. This is this idea that, say, there's like giraffes. Okay, we got a bunch of giraffes. At one time, at, at their beginning of existence, there were giraffes with long necks and there were giraffes with short necks. And then over time, because the short giraffes couldn't get all the food up in the trees, they started dying off. And so now all of the giraffes adapted over time and started with these long necks because they were the ones that could reach food, they were the ones that could survive, and so they all became long neck, long neck giraffes. Okay, there's an example. I don't know if that's true or not, but let's just say. Okay, that's kind of what this minor evolution is. Then there's macroevolution, probably the one you hear about either in school or you've heard about before. Everything in the planet spontaneously generated from some amoeba life form, and that begins to evolve, adapt, and eventually become an organism such as a fish, then a lizard, something that walks on land, and a mammal. Those are kind of the normal, the macroevolution is probably the kind of evolution you hear about in schools or you've talked about that we started from basically this bacteria and everything evolved to where we are today. Here's the problem with macroevolution. Scientists have not found what they call these transitional or intermediary fossils. So let me explain. Let's say that based on this macroevolution path, we started with this amoeba life form and then we transferred. Say we get all the way up to 
a giraffe again. We're using our giraffe as our example. We get up to a giraffe, and then what they're saying is that at some point along the lines, this giraffe would then evolve into an elephant. Okay? Let's just take that for example. What they have a problem with with this macroevolution is nobody is finding a girelephant fossil. Nobody can find it. They may be able to find a giraffe fossil and they can find an elephant fossil, but they can't find these intermediary, these fossils that supposedly, which their entire basis is on, is this transitional evolving process. They can't find what they're all about. They can't find these fossils. They can't find anything that's going to give you what you want to explain that this has got to be how it is. Stephen Jay Gold, atheist Harvard professor, says the extreme rarity of transitional forms in fossil records persists as the trade secret of paleontology. The evolutionary stress that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. The rest is inference, however reasonable, not the evidence of fossils. The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil records persists as the trade secret of paleontology. This is a Harvard professor saying that it is impossible, really never has been done, to be able to find these transitional fossil records. So basically what he's saying is that the, these fossil records are what they build their entire basis on, and nobody can find them, and so it's the secret that nobody knows about. We just believe evolution because we trust them. We trust them. And so here's something that maybe you've seen before, whether it's in a textbook or you've looked it up before. It's the evolutionary tree of life that he was just talking about. So you can see here, when I plug this in, you can see here, this is kind of like what they're talking about. This evolutionary tree of life. So somewhere down along here, we've got our amoeba, amoeba life form. Okay, and then all these different nodes and branches are kind of like how everything evolved. You can see it goes all the way up, up here, and all these different things. So look it up online. You can find it online. It's easy to find. But this is what they're talking about, this evolutionary tree of life. What he's saying in this, this quote is that these things on the outside, these tips, and branches we've got some fossils for. What we're having trouble with is all this stuff in the middle that are a mixture of a bunch of different things. We can't find evidence for that. We're just speculating. We're inferring that this stuff had to have happened in order for us to get here. This is what a Harvard professor is saying. Here's a couple things I have problems with with evolution. Fossil records don't support it, as I just said. We can't find this evidence that's leading us to a full kind of evolution process. Science can't reproduce it. Science at the heart of what science is is to observe, test, and reproduce. They can't do that with this because we, we don't have any proof. Evolution is built on simple things moving to complex things. So this idea that somewhere down along here, we had this organism bacteria that started and somehow we got all the way to this complex thing of something here at the top like a chimpanzee or a homo sapien. That from this little thing that barely even has an existence, we, it's very simple all the way to a complex person who, if you look at just the different complexities on our body, how, how everything is just nicely put into place. That's a very bold statement to go from simple to complex. 
and spontaneous generation. Just like with the Big Bang Theory, where did this original life form come from? Where did it come from? We're already basing on something that we don't even know where that came from. Evolution, in the sense of minor evolution, doesn't necessarily contradict Christianity. We have small adaptations. Everybody adapts and evolves as generations go on. But we can't say macroevolution is even a thing when it hasn't even been proven. So it doesn't contradict because it can't be proven. It, can't, it, it doesn't work. We can't just say something like evolution randomly just works when it hasn't been proven. When it doesn't happen. When it doesn't make sense. So that's what you need to understand. There's minor, macro. Macro, we can't prove it. Can't be real. Because there's no proof. Minor evolution, we get these small adaptations. Okay. I get that. Genesis 1.24 says this. Then God said, let each let earth produce every sort of animal, including offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that's what happened. So you see, there's this creation of all these animals within their kind. Not something like this, where something made all the kinds through one different organism. And then in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Then there's the creation very distinctly of the human being, made in his image. It's going to be pretty hard for an amoeba to be made in God's image, if that's where we're coming from. All right, so the last one. Stick with me. I know it's a lot of information, probably a little boring, but just stick with me here. This is the last one. So we got Big Bang Theory doesn't contradict. Minor evolution doesn't contradict. Macro we can't even prove to be real. And then does science contradict Christianity? 51% of scientists say they believe in a god or a higher power. This is from the American Association of the Advancement of Science. Chemistry and biology both began to advance in the Western world because Christians believed it was an exploration of how God made the world around us. Here's just some quick people. Francis Bacon. These are all Christians. Scientific method. Isaac Newton. He had a bunch of different discoveries. Michael Faraday, electromagnetic field theory. James Maxwell, electrodynamics. Louis Pasteur, pasteurization, vaccination, immunization, bacteriology. Johannes Kepler, laws of planetary motion. Francis Collins, human genome project, who was an atheist, but once he dove into what one cell of DNA had, saw that it could fill 30 encyclopedias of information and said there has to be something that's bigger than just science. Francis Collins. Rosalind Pickard, inv inventor and artificial intelligence expert, invented effective computing. Ian Hutchinson, nuclear science professor at MIT. Kenneth Miller, professor of bio biology at Brown University. Science and Christianity aren't trying to contradict each other. They're both pursuing the same goal. They both have the same goal. It's just like, I don't have all the time to, to do this in, in a full effect, but it's just like here. I got two pieces of bread. And you say, okay, I got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This is what I want to make. I'm hungry. I'm going to make a PB&J sandwich. And so let's just imagine that for this peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I'm somebody that when I start my PB&J sandwich, I put it in the toaster oven. I put it in the toaster oven, and I toast it, 
and then I put the peanut butter on, but then I put the jelly on top of the peanut butter, and then I put the second piece of bread on top of that. Let's just say that's how I make it. Let's say Shannon makes hers, she comes up here, and so she makes hers. Well, she doesn't toast hers, so she just takes the two pieces of bread, and she puts peanut butter on the one side, and then she puts jelly on the other side, and then she puts the two pieces of bread together. You're probably going to look at me and tell me that that's still a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was done a little differently, but it still had the same goal in mind, to make a PB&J sandwich. It didn't matter how you made it. Science is trying to pursue truth and knowledge within their field and Christianity is trying to pursue truth and knowledge and so they're trying to pursue the same goal but as Christians we want to bring God into it and say this is why these things are happening science says okay here's the factual logical side of why things happen and we can step back and go oh so that's how God makes things happen we're still getting to the same goal as long as we keep God in the picture the moment we begin to take God out, then we're pursuing two different things. Science in Latin is the word sensia, which means knowledge. The goal of science is to pursue truth and knowledge. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 8 says this. It says, For we cannot oppose the truth, but always stand for the truth. What's very interesting to me is the church was actually a part of the funding slash fueling of Isaac Newton's research project on gravitational theory. Five colleges, some of the most Ivy League colleges, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, Brown, all began as Christian universities. And Harvard's very first motto was truth for Christ and the church. Truth for Christ and the church. Mark 12.30 says this, probably a verse you've heard before. It says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and what's this last one? All your mind and all your strength. There's an aspect of the mind, this knowledge. Love God with all your mind, your knowledge, just as what science is trying to pursue, knowledge. Every time science has a discovery, it gives us the chance to go, that's how God did it. But you also, I have to mention, science does have its limits. Okay, Science gives us more the what and the how, and it doesn't always give us the why. We can't test everything in a test tube. I can't test morality. I can't test beauty. I can't test the origin of life. I, I can't do that. But with God, I can answer those questions. I can answer why beauty exists. I can answer the origin of life. As God created man in his image and gave him the breath of life, I, I can give you the answer for morality. But with just science, they can't test these things. There needs to be a joint effort with science and Christianity. Romans 2.14 says this, and then I'll, I'm done. Romans 2.14 says, Even Gentiles who do not know have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard this. We talked about this in the very first couple of weeks, that even those that don't know Jesus still have this instinctive law of morality on their hearts. Science can't explain that. So science alone leaves you lacking. 
Science plus Christianity gives you answers. It gives you answers to the Big Bang. It gives you answers to evolution. It gives you answers with science and Christianity. How do these two kind of coexist? And so you may sit there and you go, Taylor, I agree with some of it, but there may be a lot that you're like, I don't know what I agree with. I challenge you to keep diving into these things. Keep asking yourselves questions as you try to process this whole realm of science we have out there that keeps advancing and going forward and this whole realm of Christianity, which we believe in a God who created everything. And make sure you hear me say, I'm not taking God out of the equation when it comes to science. I'm not trying to say science answers these questions, even though the Bible says this. No, 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 no. The Bible says is what the Bible says is true. I'm just trying to help you walk alongside with God into this realm of science. It's just like saying, uh, I have this TV here. It's just like saying that if I unplug this TV and I go, okay, you know, let's, let's turn on the TV. We're going to play a game real quick. And so I, I go over here and I grab the remote and I keep pressing the, the on button and it's not working. Uh, they always used to say with old game systems, you know, hit it or blow on it. So I start hitting it and I start blowing on it and it's still not turning on. And I sit there and I'm getting so frustrated why this won't turn on. And then one of you said, well, there's the cord. It's not even plugged in. And I go, okay. And so then I go over there and I turn it on. And now I turn it on. And now I see the little, little light in the corner. And I go, oh, now there's power. With just a TV, it's great to have. And there's a lot of things I can do with a TV. But without power, I can't do anything with it. Science has given us a lot of exploration on different things and, and explaining why things happen. But without the power of God, without a source that's creating all of these things, it's worthless. So make sure you hear me say that I'm all about science and I like how it keeps advancing and it's giving us all this information, but I don't want to take God out of it. God still needs to be the heart of it. God needs to still be what we believe in. And God gives us a lot of the answers to where science can't explain the origin of things. We need to know that science is a good thing, but it's not a good thing if we take God out of the equation. Keep your source and it will be good. Research fully.